as we hear the word preached, I thank you, Lord, that you anoint my lips, my voice, and that it be your word, your Holy Spirit speaking through me today to each and every person within earshot, whether they be watching online, listening to the podcast after the fact, or right now here in person in this building, experiencing your Holy Spirit's presence. Lord, speak to us. Deal with us. Help us gain wisdom and revelation and knowledge, a greater understanding of who you are and what you would have uh, in our lives, what you want in our lives, what you want to do in our lives. God, we thank you in advance and receive by faith everything you have for us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. If you believe that and you receive that, just shout out amen. Amen. Return to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. You know, we've been talking about faith, rock solid faith. This is um, week seven here that we've been on this, which is a longer one for us, a longer season. If you are newer to the church, we don't do series, we do seasons. And that allows us to stay kind of in a general topic, a general direction, but we don't do, um, you know, uh, an orchestrated uh, on week five, I already know what I'm going to talk about. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us, and direct us. But, uh, you know, it, it, God's not dumb, and he also, you know, speaks to us. We kind of know a general direction of where we want to go and what we want to talk about. It's interesting, too, because we've been, um, for not, not always does this happen, but we, we've been coordinated with our children's ministry. So the kids have been learning about faith, and we've been learning about faith. I love teaching on faith. I love uh, um, I love the faith message because, as I've said, I don't know how many times over seven weeks, Hebrews eleven six tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we are required in order to please God, we're required to live by faith, walk by faith. You know, our, our actions should be actions of faith. What does that mean? I'm not just talking about uh, um, um, our faith of being a Christian. I'm talking about active, believing, trusting God for whatever you need in your life. Hebrews 11.1, 1, as we've looked at several times, says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith, the substance of things hoped for. How many of you hope for something? How many of you are hoping for a better job, a better life, a better marriage, better children, better whatever, right? Or how about peace, joy, how about fruit of the Spirit? I mean, there are things that you hope for in your life. You know, sometimes I, I, I just because it's an easy analogy that a lot of people understand, I do go to things like jobs or marriage or children um, because, again, people understand those things. But there are a lot of things in life that sometimes are way more important, like having peace, having joy. I remember a few years ago, um, man, coming off of, of COVID was crazy being a, being a pastor, having, we just started the church right before COVID. We just had momentum. People were coming. People were, were, were finally starting to connect with the vision. It was awesome. We felt the momentum. We felt God breathing on the church. And then boom, the whole world shuts down in a matter of like eight days. You hear about it. You're like, oh, well, that's over there in China. And then all of a sudden it's here. And then, hey, shut down. Like, whoa, what happened, man? It was a, a, it was a crazy time. And, and then during all that, there was, I'm a media person. And a lot of what I do for our churches is a lot of media stuff. And now, thank God for great teams. But uh, I do a lot more overseeing than actively uh, um, designing stuff and all that. But I still do some. I enjoy it. And, um, but, you know, back, back then, man, it was, it was nonstop. Felt like seven days a week of just creating videos. We were, we were birthing the whole celebration online, children's ministry online versions. We were doing... Uh, podcasting every day. We were doing everything we could to stay in touch with people, reach people, do all that. And coming off of that, I'm just telling you, there was a lack of joy in my life. There was just a lack of joy in my life. And I remember kind of realizing it, remembering that, you know, because I like to have fun. I, I, I'm, a, I'm an intense person, but as intense as I am, I'm, I, I enjoy, I like having fun. I like cutting up. I'm very sarcastic. I don't always show that side because people don't always know it. But if if you ever, once you get around, you volunteer a little bit, you'll hear, I'm very sarcastic. I like being, I like sarcasm and stuff like that. I like having fun. I had kind of lost a lot of that. I lost a lot of that. Well, you know, it was a great day when I, when I finally got to the point 
where I can believe God, trust in God, and walk by faith back into having joy in my life, joy in my home, joy in my marriage, joy in my fatherhood. Amen. That's a good day when you're not, uh, um, you know, I don't want to put myself down, but when you're just being a jerk all the time. I'm just, you know, I mean, you know, that's not enjoy. Nobody loves that, right? And so having joy, having peace, having all those things, they're beneficial. What I want to talk to you about today, what's on my heart, I don't really think I'm going to even, I, I, I don't know how far I'm going to get in all the notes and all the thoughts that I have today. So I don't know how, how much, uh, I plan to cover more on Wednesday, and uh, obviously over the next couple of weeks, I actually think this would even be a good topic for kind of a back to school Sunday theme. So just be prepared to hear a lot about this topic. Because I want to talk to you about one of the ways to turn your faith loose. What I mean is to put your faith in action. You know, James tells us that there are actions that correspond to your faith. That, there, that faith is, is simply put, Hebrews 11:1, 1, believing, right? It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Well, if you have an evidence of something, we've used the analogy of a receipt. If you go and buy something from a store, Kaylee asked me, our six-year-old, she asked me, just yesterday, the day before, well, Daddy, why, why do you get, she calls them tickets sometimes. Why do, you, why do you get the ticket? What's the ticket for? I said, Kayla, you mean the receipt? Yeah, Daddy, what's the receipt for? Well, it's to prove that I purchased it. And she just kind of looked at me funny. Like, why do you need that? And I'm like, well, Kayla, if, if, if I needed, like if there was a problem with the purchase or I needed to bring it back, this is proof that I didn't steal it or get it from somewhere else that I bought this item from this store and I could take it back. This is what I paid for it. And then I have proof. I can even see what, what uh, type of, um, uh, did I pay for with cash? Or did I pay with check? Or did I pay with credit card? I can see all that information on this receipt. It's the evidence. Everybody say evidence. Okay, so when you have evidence in faith, one of the ways that you'll have, hey, that person that person is actively believing God for something. There's evidence that comes along with that. And one of those, as I would even venture to say, the most important one is your confession. Your confession. Now look at Romans 10, 10 to help us make a little sense. Romans 10, chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 9. Uh, I'm all backwards here. Chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Ready? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, most of us know this scripture, even if you didn't know, it was Romans 10, chapter 10, verse 9. If you didn't know that, you knew that verse. You know that that's what the Bible says because that's how you got saved. A pastor like me stood up in a pulpit or maybe somebody led you to the Lord in a small group or at your job and they said, hey, in order for you to be saved, you have to believe that Jesus Christ lived that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave. You have to believe it in your heart and you have to confess it with your mouth, right? Now look at verse 10. For with the heart, one believes under righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now notice how the very precipice, the very beginning of your faith works. It works like this. You believe in your heart and you confess. That's how your faith in Jesus Christ is birth. You believe in your heart. With the heart, one believes. And with the mouth, they confess to salvation. You confess into salvation. Now, what happens to most Christians is they stop right there. And then they have no control over their mouth, no understanding of what God's Word says in Old and New Testament about your mouth, the things you say in your confession. They don't, they don't understand how important it is the things you say. You know, I'm going to read a different verse from Proverbs, but, but one that I quote often. Proverbs says, life and death are in the power of your tongue. That literally out of your mouth, that your tongue, your confession, the things you say will either produce life or they'll produce death. In the book of James, you know, we just took a cruise. We went on a cruise. That was our vacation. Uh, just curious, how many of y'all have ever been on a cruise or some sort of big boat? So several of you. All right, how many of you have seen a big boat? Okay, all right, there we go. Every hand, okay, just making sure. Well, you know, they, um, they just came out, Royal Caribbean just came out with the icon of the seas. I don't know if you've seen this, 
but it's the icon of the seas. It is the world's largest cruise ship. Massive. It's massive. They keep showing it next to other cruise ships, which cruise ships are already big. When we showed up in Charleston, we went to lunch kind of down by the port, and there was a different cruise ship. It wasn't the one we were going to be on, but a cruise ship there. We were showing the kids, look, and they were like, wow, it's so big. And we're like, yeah, you're going to be on that. They're like, well, then you have a, a, a normal cruise ship, like the one we went on, which is very large. Then you have the Icon of the Seas, which is like five times the size of the, uh, the Titanic. Five, I mean, just massive. Absolutely the world's largest cruise ship. When you think about those big boats, as big as they are, and, and the Icon of the Seas, they're still doing testing. The first um, voyage is not even until 2024. But right now they're doing all this testing. They're doing all these, uh, they, there's like uh, five or 600 crew that are just on board just to test. Just to test it, just to make it work, just to make it operate. But you know, as big as that ship is, there is one little thing in comparison to the rest of the ship. I'm sure it's a pretty big rudder. But percentage-wise, it's probably about 2 to 3% of the size of the ship. A little rudder at the back bottom you can't even see it and that rudder that steering system now i know i know cruises have other propulsion devices and they can go sideways and all that but just go with my analogy for a second there's a rudder at the back and that rudder steers that massive gigatons not just tons gigatons of steel that's floating in the ocean is steered by a little rudder and the book of james actually talks about how your tongue is like a rudder that steers your life. It's like a rudder that steers your life. And your life is going, and you're steering it with your mouth. Look at this verse in Proverbs. Here's another one. Ready? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2. You are snared. Snared. You are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Your mouth and the words that come out of it will either produce life or death. They produce snares in other words they will hurt you trip you up or they'll produce life look at mark 11 now mark 11 is real interesting because mark 11 is a story about jesus and um it's a story that tells us a lot about faith and how faith works so what had happened was is jesus had gone he had seen a fig tree he sees the fig tree he says uh it's not the season for figs there's not figs on him but he was hungry how many how many of you have ever been hangry with an A, hangry, hangry, like to the point where you don't want to talk to me. I'm just going to just, I got to get some food in me right now. If you ever do fasting, if you fast for more than, the second day for me is the hard one. That's the one you don't want to talk to me. First day, I'm good. I'm all right. Second day, I'm just going to stay away from you. By the time I get to the third day, I'm good. I'm good. You know, but I just, you, when you go without food and you're hungry, there's just things that happen in your psyche that just, I imagine Jesus was a little hangry. And he goes up to the tree, there's no figs on it, and he curses the tree. Now, this we're going to pick up in verse 20, Mark 11, verse 20. He comes and he says, uh, he sees the tree. Now, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering what had happened, he said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus, and I imagine this in a smart aleck tone. Maybe it's just me, but I just imagine. He looks over to Peter and he says to them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. In other words, did you not expect that when I spoke to that tree that it would do what I told it to do? Did you forget that I am God incarnate? Did you forget that I am the Word made flesh? Did you forget everything I've taught you? Did you forget that what comes out of my mouth? Because they had these, they had some of these Old Testament scriptures. They knew the importance of the words. And he said, Did you have faith in God? Have faith in me. Did you not expect anything? Why would you expect anything different? Why would you expect this to look different? Now I would imagine, now he didn't really give them a chance to respond. But I'm going to put myself in Peter's shoes for a second. Now, Peter and the other disciples, he was the one that spoke, but the other disciples are standing there. When they left that tree, the scriptures tell us, or insinuate at least, 
that there was nothing different about it. They did not see that it was withered, that it was dried up from the roots until the day they come back by the tree. So he spoke to the tree, and having the faith of God, having the faith of God when he spoke to it, left it the way it was, and then it didn't look any different. This happens to all of us. We go and we do something by faith. We act by faith. We, hey, I'm believing for X, Y, or Z to happen in my life. And you pray and you fast and you seek the Lord and you get your confession. And then the tree looks the same. It looks the same. But, you know, I understand how trees work. And here in this verse, it tells us that the, the, the tree withered or dried up from the roots. You know, roots are where the, the underlying thing, of what, what the source of the tree. I studied horticulture at Clemson. That, that's where you get the, the cation exchanges happening. That's where the, the supplements for the, from, from, from the ground and the roots are supplying all that up. Photosynthesis cannot happen without the roots. Life to the tree can happen. You know, the, the, the bark is, is around the tree to protect the inner, inner workings of that, that trunk. You know what's happening in the trunk? All the stuff from the roots are going up. Yes, I know the stuff comes back down to the roots from the branches, but that only happens after the roots receive what they need, water, nutrient supplies, and send it back up the tree. And so when he spoke, he knew, he knew that underneath the ground, behind the scenes, you could say, that where no one else can see it, his word is working. His word is working. I know I've been on a kick with that scripture that I've read the last couple of weeks, but I'm just telling you, it just keeps resonating in my spirit. That God said, hey, I've sent out my word. I've sent out my word and I'm watching over it to perform it and my word never returns void. Isaiah 55, my word and never returns void. I'll make sure that no matter how long, my word will come to pass. My word will work. My word will penetrate the very being of the thing you're speaking to, and it may take a few days. It may take until you see it the next time. It may take longer than you expected. It may cause doubt and unbelief in other people because they're thinking, oh, well, how could that even happen? But when you believe in God and you trust in his word and you believe that his word will come to pass, his word will never fail. Never fail. His word cannot fail. He cannot lie. And so he says here, have the faith of God or have faith in God. Some uh, Bible scholars have it translated in that way, have the faith of God. In other words, have the faith that I had. Have the faith that I had. Why are you looking at this situation any different than how I'm looking at it? I'm expecting it to work. You should be too. Have the faith of God. For assuredly, I say to you, now he's teaching. So he corrects them, then he's teaching them. Then he's letting them know, here's how this works. Ready? Assuredly, I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain. How many of us have a mountain in your life? Something you need moved. Something, new, something that's in your way. Something that seems insurmountable. Impassable. Impenetrable. Seems like there's no way under it. It's too big to go around it. I don't know how to go over it. And he's telling them, no, if you'll just look right at the tree, at, right at the mountain. If you would just look right at the mountain and say, to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea. Now notice this, and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he believed for. Help me out. Is that what it says? He will have whatever he, look at the end of this. He will have whatever he believed for. He'll have whatever he what? He'll have whatever he what? So when I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth, let me just go back to Romans 10, 9 and 10. When you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ lived, died, rose from the grave, and you ask him to come in your heart, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, are you saved? Are you saved? Okay, that's faith. And if you believe God that way, then he's saying, look, if you will speak 
if you will open your mouth and speak, if you not just believe that the mountain can be removed, but open your mouth and speak to it and confess to it and have the faith of God and say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, that thing will move. It will move. It has to move. Why does it have to move? Because when you take God's word and you put it in your mouth and you speak it, your confession becomes an uh, have the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. I'm, now I'm in, in a whole different, I'm in Ephesians 6, but stay with me. Quenches the fiery darts of the wicked one. So the faith says, no, no, you're not going to attack me. But you know what else is in that armor that you're supposed to have every day? Is the sword of the spirit. So what is the attacking device that we have? The word, the word of God. Now let me ask you a question. Is a sword any good in a sheep? Is a sword any good in a sheep? We went to a restaurant yesterday, and they were like a kind of a military. It was a Puerto Rican restaurant. Fantastic. Fantastic. Best empanadas. Mm. Praise God. I'm getting excited. We got some leftovers at home. I'm going to eat them today. Mm. Those things were blessed. Highly favorite. You ever been to uh, La Isa Bonita? La Isa Bonita. That's good. Really, really good. I'm like promoting a restaurant I know nothing about right now other than it's delicious food. So listen. We go, they've got like several machetes and stuff on the wall. I don't know why. I just noticed them. Machetes doing zero good on the wall. It's mounted, screwed into the wall. Beautiful, that's good. Doing no good on the wall. A sword does no good in a sheet. The word of God sitting on your shelf. In your mind even. Does no good until it comes out of your mouth. I know that sounds a little direct or a lot of direct. You're saying, okay, well, you're saying that, I mean, I, I read the word all the time. Well, how much do you speak it? If you believe, let me ask you, let's go back to Romans 10. I started with that for a reason. If, 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 you, if, if you just believe that Jesus Christ saved you and you never confess it, does it do you any good? If you believe it and you don't confess it, what does it do? Does it produce salvation? No, it doesn't, because you have to confess it. What is the confession? Your confession is your action of faith. It is your action that says, I actually believe what is in my heart, and I'm letting it come out. Because your mouth is a bridle. It's a, it's a rudder for your life, and it's setting the trajectory for where you're going. See, when you walk around and say, no, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in Jesus Christ. It's not just something you confess when you're, when you're 10 years old or 15 years old when you got saved and you went to youth camp and praise God and you just say it once. No, you say it all the time. You say it in your worship. You say it in your prayer. You say it in your testimony that you're telling somebody that may never, ever have heard of Jesus if it weren't for your testimony. But when you're saying your testimony, you don't just say, oh, well, this happened and it was really good for me and I'm happy. No, you say God did it. Because I believe in Jesus, and I trusted in him, and so God turned my life around, and he healed me, or he delivered me, or he saved me. And that's your testimony. Not just the fact that I was in a bad situation and it turned to good, but I was in a bad situation, and God turned it to good. God turned it around. God blessed me. God anointed me. God, listen, when you take God and you put God's word and his blessings and his promises in your mouth, your mouth becomes like David's slingshot. If you look at what David did, when he went down to that creek, he grabbed how many? Five stones. How many did it take? Because God's word never misses. You know what he did? If you go back and you read that story, David was full of God's word, full of God's promises, full of faith. I mean, when you walk out as a little boy, I was a teenager or whatever, but compared to Goliath, looking like a runt, and you tell that grown man, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know what he was saying? See, the circumcision was a thing that made them part of God's family. He's saying, this man, I don't care how big he is. He doesn't have in him what I have in me. See, I'm anointed. All right. It's like he put that word and that rock and that slingshot and sent it right into the devil's head. 
Now think about Ephesians 6, the, 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 the shield of faith and the sword of God's word. When you take God's word and you send it, you're sending God's word. You're sending the sword. You're sending the dagger. It says that your shield of faith will quench the fiery darts, but your sword is what attacks back. Your sword is what moves mountains. Your sword, God's word in your mouth, is what changes things. It's what makes things happen. Now look at verse 24, Mark 11, 24. Ready? Therefore I say to you, so before he's speaking in kind of like an analogy or whatever he's saying, have faith in God. Then he talks about the mountain, verse 23. He says, now the mountain is this. If you say to the mountain, and it seems like they're like, you know, okay, well, which mountain? They're looking at mountains all around them. But now he makes it personal in verse 24. Now, now he drives it home. Now he says, this is how it applies to you. This is, how, this is how it applies to your ministry. This is how it applies to your life. This is how it applies to your ministry. This is how it applies to your marriage. This is how it applies to your parenthood. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So we've covered for several weeks about the importance of believing when you ask and believing but I want you to notice how this comes on the heels of my confession. The book that we're going to give out today, everyone's going to get this book when you leave. This book is called In Him. This book is called In Him. It's by Brother Kenneth Hagin. Now, Brother Hagin, just so you know, he's going, he, went on to be, he passed away in 2003. So he's going on to be with the Lord. He grew up in, in uh, I mean, went through all the you know, Great Depression and all those days. He was healed, I want to make sure I get it right here, I'm looking in the back, age of 17. And the age of 17, God miraculously healed him of a deformed heart and an incurable blood disease. It's amazing to hear the testimony and hear all about that. So when, when he, he grew up, he was a Baptist kid in a Baptist church. Well, none of those churches believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. None of those churches believed in healing. None of those churches believed in supernatural. So the, the pastors would come and visit him, and they basically just pat him on the head and say, it'll be over soon. It'll be over soon. It'll be okay. Jesus will come get you soon. But there was something in him that said, no, that's not, that's not God's best. And then because he was bedfast, which, you know, is an old term, you were stuck to the bed. Now, this is before hospitals. He was in his home, in the bed couldn't get up, couldn't, they had to take care of him, they had to help bathe him, his family had to help him with all that stuff, but he began to read God's word every day, it was really the only thing he could do, not like iPads and <laughs> TV and all that stuff was around, he just had God's word, and so Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God, and faith began to grow in him, because he read things like Mark 11, 22 through 24 that I just read to you, and he said, wait a second now, if, if I speak God's word over my life, then healing should come. So he looked up, what does the Bible say about healing? What does the Bible say about healing? And he began to confess healing over his body, and God miraculously healed him. Miraculously healed him. So he wrote this book, and obviously it's a mini book, right? And so you can read it very quickly. But I want to read this little excerpt from it. He went on, by the way, to, to have an international ministry. And, I mean, just a world-renowned ministry. He had, uh, would see healings in his ministry. In other words, he would, he would pray for people, lay hands on the sick, and they would recover in his meeting. God did it. He's not, it's not that he was, but he believed he had faith, and he would put faith in other people, and they would receive healing in, in, in the meetings. God would touch them, heal them, deliver them in his meetings. International started Bible schools all over the world. I mean, just massive what God did with his life. He said this, people often ask me about studying the Bible. Although I have many suggestions, here's the one that I present above all others everywhere I go. And this is why I'm giving you this book today. As a Christian, as a believer, read through the New Testament, primarily the epistles. The epistles, you see, are the letters written to you, the believer. They are written to the church. And just to, to explain, those are the ones between, after Acts, before Revelation. All those books of the Bible, those are letters written. He said they're written to the church. They're written to the believer. As you read, 
look for all expressions such as in Christ, in him, in whom, through whom, etc. Now, you, you're, you're not reading this with me, but those are all capitalized. It's not in him, like lowercase him. It's in him, in Christ, or through whom, the capital W, through whom, through Christ. He said, with a colored pencil, underline these expressions. You will find approximately 140 such expressions, most of them in the epistles. Now, they're actually all listed. Part of why I want to give this to you is because they're all listed in the back. And I counted yesterday, there's actually about 200 scripture references. So he says 140. I don't know if he's combining some or, or whatever, because I just kind of counted. So I'm, I'm assuming some of these are in different categories, double counted. But there's about 140, he says. 140. 140 scriptures that tell you as a believer what you have in Christ. Of what's given to you, supplied to you, through your relationship with Jesus Christ. And most Christians, unfortunately, either don't know or haven't been taught this and definitely don't confess it. They don't confess it. So, so look at this. He says, now, some of these don't exactly tell you something you have in Christ. For instance, Paul's greeting in one epistle is, I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, obviously, that doesn't tell you what you have in Jesus. But it has the expression. So he goes on to say, you will also find other scriptures which convey this same message. But they do not use the specific phrases like in him, but they tell you who you are and what you have in Christ. Now, when you find these scriptures, notice this, when you find these scriptures, write them down. Then meditate on them. Then begin to confess them. Begin to say with your mouth. Before this, he said a lot of what I've said today. He even used some of the same scripture references about the important confession. He's telling them, he's telling us, hey, confess these things. Begin to say with your mouth, this is who I am. And this is what I am. And this is what I have in Christ. Let me just, let me just, read, you, uh, let me just read you a couple. I know I read some last week, but just look at how, how, how this is written. 1 Peter 2.24. No, Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And then he puts a confession with it. The law of the life of Christ Jesus, or in Christ Jesus, has set me free from the law of, the, uh, um, the law of sin and death. Look at this one. James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's James chapter 4, verse 7. Now, if it says that you have that and you have that in Christ, then your confession has to be, I, as a believer, have authority over the devil, and when I resist him, he'll flee from me. But what a lot of people do is they go, well, you see, I have generational curses. I'm not saying generational curses aren't a real thing, but once you get saved, I want to just ask you, if you're saved and you understand God's word, you have it in your heart, you're exercising it, then what curse? What, what curse? I don't care what generation it came from. What curse is big enough to trump God's blessings? What, what curse is big enough to trump God's salvation? What curse is big enough to, to overcome his word and his promises? I read, to, I, recorded, I read it last week, quoted it today. He said his word goes forth for years and years. Whenever the, when earth is gone, his word will remain. It was here before and it'll be here after. So, so what's bigger than that? I'm not saying curses aren't real. I'm saying what's bigger? What curse is bigger than God? What curse is bigger than his promises? What curse? He goes on. I mean, there's so many in here. Galatians 2, uh, Galatians 2.20. Now, actually, I'm going to read. I want to show you the actual one that has to do with that. Uh, here you go. Blessed be the. No, no. Hold on. Hold on. I want to read this to you. It's, it's in Galatians chapter 6. All right, we'll read this one. In whom we have redemption, Colossians 1, 13 to 14. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. In whom, everybody say in whom. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Everybody say redeemed. Galatians 3, 13. This is the one I wanted to read. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. This is New, New Testament scriptural revelation from Paul the Apostle 
written in a letter to you and I, written in a letter to the church. He says, you are redeemed from the curse of the law. You know, most, I know pastors that don't understand what that means. They don't understand what the curse of the law means. See, if you go and you read Deuteronomy 28, the first half was God explaining to them, here is the blessing. And then if you don't do, you have in front of you life and death. If you choose life, here's the blessing. Then the second half of Deuteronomy 28, here's the curse. It was the curse of the law. And he's saying here, when Jesus Christ died, this is what you have. This is what you have as a believer. This is what you can't. If you want to live a life of faith, there's a revelation that you must have as a believer. I am redeemed. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. There is no curse that God, because see what happens is your faith gets twisted because you, you, there, there are all these uh, um, things that sell real Christian-y. Like, oh, um, God's just, just teaching you something. Wait, I have, I have cancer. God's teaching me with cancer? Show me that. Show me that in here. Je Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Show me one time Jesus Christ walked around and said, now you I'm going to heal, but you, you just need a little bit of leprosy. Miss Carmen, you've been bad. I got to give you a little leprosy to teach it. No, he taught. He took the word and he taught. He sat up on the sermon, the sermon on the mount, and he taught. And he said, "My word is for rebuke and reproof and correction." And that's I'm gonna correct you. Then I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna heal you. I'm gonna touch your body. That's what Jesus did. You know, the only time he wasn't able to do that was when he was in his own time in the his own town, and the Bible said he could there do no mighty works because of their unbelief. Not because he didn't want to, not because he couldn't or he didn't have the power, but their unbelief, their lack of faith would not receive what he had. But people say stuff like this all the time and it sounds real good and we can't explain it because we don't understand something like Galatians 3.13. What does it say? That I have been redeemed. I, I, know, I know this is a little deeper or whatever, but, but if you don't understand this, it's hard to live a life of faith if, if you think that you're living in a curse that God put on your life. I would even venture to say it's impossible. Because how can you believe God to get you out of something you think he put in you or put on you? So you have to understand where does the curse come from? Even if you go back and you read Deuteronomy and you read all those, God was literally saying that curse will come upon you if you get out from under my protection. It's, it's when you choose life, I'll protect you. The blessing that's in Deuteronomy 28, most of it is, is, is surrounded by protection. Blessing and protection. He says here, look at this. This is reading the rest of that verse. Galatians 3.13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now notice how Jesus did this. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Did Jesus or did he not hang on a tree? Did he or did he not die for you? Did he or did he not? Cursing is everyone that hangs on a tree. He took the curse for you and I. I, I I'm giving everybody a copy of this today because if you'll read it and then take the scriptures that are listed at the back and begin to confess them over your life. Be, begin to take some that that identify mostly with you and say, no, I, I've got to now apply to my life God's word. It's not going to sit on the shelf. It's going to come out of my mouth. And you need to confess, this is who I am. This is who I am. I am not who I used to be. This is who I am. See, faith has action tied to it. And the most, I want to, I want to just say, in my belief, my own belief, the most important corresponding action to your faith is not the only one but the most important corresponding action is your confession is what comes out of your mouth i believe god's word i believe what he said okay so what happens when i say something negative what happens when i've been saying well i don't know if i ever get healed stop stop saying it 
well, I just don't know. I, I, and you, you say these things that maybe you picked up from some family member or you picked up from, from previous churches or whatever. Again, I, 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 people operate in the light that they have. Maybe they didn't have this light. Maybe they didn't understand the power of their words. I, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm trying to let you know, stop. Stop. Ask God to forgive you, Lord. I, I was ignorant when I said that. Ignorant of God's word. I was ignorant. I didn't understand. Lord, forgive me. I'm going to work on fixing my confession. I'm going to work on fixing. There, there are several, I told you I wasn't going to get them everything in my notes, but there are several revelations for rock solid faith that I want to give you. Revelations for rock solid faith. I'm going to give you one that I feel led to give you before we leave. You're a child of God. You are a child of God. Think about how powerful this is. If you have children, you know, my children, they get everything that I have. They have everything that I have. Everything that I have, they can, they can go in my refrigerator and get everything they want. Now, if you come to my house, don't touch my refrigerator. Unless you ask me first. But little Josh, my three-year-old, come in at least six times a week Find the refrigerator door wide open. And I know Josh has infiltrated the refrigerator. <laughs> Am I mad? Oh, maybe a little he left the door open, but I'm not mad he went in. It's, it's his. You're hungry, buddy? Get whatever you want. I mean, I, I wish you would eat something other than little Gogurts, but you know what? If you want 25 Gogurts, we'll go buy more. You're a child of God. You know, the prodigal son, when he, when he left, he made the other brother mad. So the younger brother gets the, the um, uh, blessing from his father. He leaves. He goes to a foreign country. He squanders it. Read it. I believe it's Luke 11 or Luke 15. Squanders it. He squanders it. He, he takes it ruins it. And the Bible says that the prodigal son came to himself. Many of you this morning are having a revelation moment. You came to yourself and you realize, man, I've been ruining. The reason my faith hasn't been working is not because I didn't believe God's word, not because I didn't go to church, not because I didn't love God, not because I didn't worship him, but because I was not corresponding my faith with my mouth, with my confession. Everything I confessed was contrary to what I actually should have been believing. And so the prodigal son had a revelation that, you know, the servants in my father's house are actually better off than me. And so he makes a decision, I'm going to go back. He actually says, standing by the pigs, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my father, Father, forgive me. I blew it. I messed up. Just make me a servant. It'd be better if I was a servant in your house than if I was, I, I mean, your servants even have food left over. And I mean, pig crap. And he goes back and his father sees him afar off and runs out, embraces him hugs him, and the son says, hey, dad, here's the deal, man. I messed up. Just make me a servant. I love it. He doesn't even acknowledge what his son said. Immediately starts talking to his servant. Hey, hey, give me a robe. Give me a robe for him. Let's get him cleaned up. Put some sandals on his feet. I don't know where he lost his sandals. I don't care, but he needs some shoes because we're about to party and he can't dance without some shoes on. Put some shoes on his feet. Hey, hey, you, servant. Hey, come here. I need you to go kill the fatted calf. Get it prepared because we're going to have a meal. And everything that the father had that the son missed, he then takes and gives back to him. Now notice this. They're throwing the party. The other brother is out in the field. He hears the dancing. Hears the music. Hears the commotion. He starts heading back to the house and he asks one of the other servants, hey, what's happening? He says, oh man, you didn't hear? Your brother came home. Your brother came home and your dad is so departed from him because he was lost and now he's saved. The brother is livid. Mad. Now, this is what happens to many Christians is they look at somebody else that got healed. They look at somebody else that got a blessing. They look at somebody else and instead of realizing their position as a child of God, they allow anger, jealousy, whatever, 
to come out of their mouth. But why does that not happen to me? Why didn't I get the party? So he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go tell my dad. And he pulls his dad out of the party, pulls him outside and says, yo, what's the deal? What's the deal? Why didn't you ever do this for me? Why didn't you ever give me a party? Why didn't you ever, you didn't kill a fatty calf for me. And your son, he didn't even call him his brother anymore. He says, your son has gone out and squandered everything you gave him. And because he comes back, you throw him the party. And then this wrecked me. This wrecked me. All the dad tells him, he looks at him and says, everything in my house has been yours this whole time. And you could have had a calf anytime you wanted. Go look it up and read it. I had never seen this before because we always focus on the brother coming home. We always focus on the dad running out. We always focus on that. And the other brother was the one who was jealous and mad. We talked about, oh, we shouldn't be jealous and mad. But notice what the dad said to him. This is Jesus' parable. Jesus told us. He gave us this parable to, to not only tell us, yes, anytime we come back to God, he'll love us. Yes, anytime we come back to God, he'll forgive us. But also for those who have been serving God this whole time, he's saying, everything I have is yours. And you can have the party anytime. You can invite your friends over anytime. You can celebrate anytime. You, you can have the, the big hall for the party anytime. You can have it. It's yours. Everything I have is yours. New Testament tells us that every spiritual blessing that's in this Bible, God gave to us. Not is going to give, but gave us. Not we will get one day. Not if we pray a little harder. Not if we, no. But if you just are a Christian, if you just believe. So what is it, why, why then is our confession important? Because your confession keeps you in that relationship. Your confession is what says, in the same way I'm saved, I believe in Jesus Christ, as my heavenly father, I believe he sent his son to die on the cross for me, and I'm saved. That's your testimony. That's your relationship with God. And the same way you confess that, confess everything you have. Healing for me. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ. That means I can do this. I know it seems impossible. I know it seems an uphill battle. I know it seems like everybody else is going to get that promotion, but no. God's word says I can do it. That means that everything that's in my father's house, including the ability to do what he called me to do, he's already given me. He's already supplied to me. It's already available to me because I'm a child of God. I would just confess that this week. Make that your biggest confession that you can make. I'm a child of God. Everything that's God's is mine. Everything, every spiritual blessing that he's supplied is mine. Not just salvation, but everything. Joy, peace, it's mine. I'm a joyful person because I'm a child of God. I'm blessed because I'm a child of God. I got, God is for me because I'm a child of God. I'm a child. I'm not, I'm not sure what every other Christian, if they want to be whoever, whatever their relationship with Christ is, you can't be responsible for them. You don't know what, what, what their, their heart is. See, God says that we see men on the outward, but he sees men in the heart. Paul said, don't worry about everybody else's race. Run yours. Run yours. And I'm encouraging this week, the, every one of us, when you're running a race, you've got to sometimes tweak how you're running. Tiger Woods, even after all the years of all the championships, still tweaking his swing, still working on tweaking it, still working on adjusting it. This is an adjustment that I'm encouraging you to make, encouraging you to make your confession of I am a child of God. My position in my relationship with God is I'm a child. I'm, I'm, I am, if he's seated in heavenly places, then I'm seated in heavenly places. If he's above Satan, then I'm above. If Satan's under his feet, Satan's under my feet. Scripture actually says, not just because we're a child of God, the scripture says Satan's under our feet. Positionally, where are you? You're a child of God and your father loves you. Everything that's promised in his word you have and you can have by faith just confess just confess you know sometimes we make faith too complicated i'm not saying that there's not there are parameters of faith there are things we understand from god's word yes there are examples like mark 11 23 that we have to we have to study how did jesus operate in faith and we have to use that but what what did he do he confessed you know another thing about jesus while we're talking about his faith everywhere he went 
from the time he was a kid, he confessed who he was. I'm the son of God. I am that I am. You know how powerful God's word is? When Jesus, in the last, the, the night he was betrayed, when they all came in the garden and they're looking for him, they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't say, I am he. He didn't say, I am Jesus. He didn't say, yep, that's me. He didn't raise his hand. He just looked at him and said, I am. And they fell over. Look it up. They fell over. They fell back. The statement, I am, was so powerful, it blew them off their feet. It blew the soldiers off their feet. He confessed who he was. Now, if Jesus had to do that, if Jesus had to confess who he was, I am the Son of God. I am the Word. This is who I am. This is, this is who I am. If he had to do that, how much more do we? Not just believe it. Not just believe I'm saved, but confess I'm saved. Not just believe I'm saved and confess I'm saved, but confess everything I have that's available to me. And I'm encouraging you. I've got a bunch of revelations that I'm writing down, things that I believe will encourage you because they've been encouraging me. But I want to start with I'm a child of God. But that's a revelation that you've got, to, you've got to understand. Yes, I'm a child of God positionally, but also confess it. You know, sorry, but this is just all in me. I'm, I'm, I know I'm helping you. I know I want, to, I want to end and we got stuff to do, but just hear me. If I love my wife and I never tell her, what value is that? The, the more that my wife and I confess our love to each other, the greater it gets. The stronger it is, the more potent it is. It's her birthday on Tuesday. I've been spoiling her everything. I, everything I can do, everything. You know why we went to a Puerto Rican restaurant last night? Because that's the food my wife loves. And I want to do everything I could in my power to have good, have juca, have plantain, have pla platanos, platanos, have it all. Have all the stuff because I love her. Talk is cheap. I can say, hey, I love you. But I, I wanted to show it. I wanted to exude it. I wanted to, 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 to everything. Babe, I, I, here is my love for you on display in action. There's corresponding. See, because love is of the heart. Interestingly, the Bible says that faith is of the heart. Your relationship with God is only going to be as deep as your confession. If you, just, if you never talk, you never pray, you never talk about how good he is, how powerful he is, how much you love him, how great he is, how great he's been to you. If you never talk about that, if you never confess it, if you never say it, your relationship with God is going to be very shallow, just like it would be with a spouse. So your confession of these things builds, it, 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 it furthers your, especially when you're confessing God's word, because faith grows by hearing the word anyways. So you're just further deepening your faith, deepening your trust in God. Now, this is, this is what God, this is what God called me to be. You know, God, I could easily believe the other report, but I'm believing your report. I could easily believe, I could easily go this way, but I'm going to go your way. I, I could easily, you know what I mean? And when you say that, when you put that in action, God notices and it furthers your relationship. Everybody stand up. If you're in this room today and you say, I, I want what you're talking about. There's two types of people that would come to us up. It's like this.